Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're here recording another in a series of shows from San Diego, California. The setting is the National Congress of American Indians. We're recording in October of 2015. It's an amazing venue because people from throughout Indian country and beyond are here really making a difference in Indian country, whether it's through some of the legislative uh, initiatives that are being discussed, whether it's through health programming, whatever it might be. A lot of exciting things happening. And someone to lead off today's show is no exception to that uh, group of uh, individuals. It's Larry Romo. Larry, you are the director of the U.S. Selective Service System. What is that? I think most people have heard of it, but for those who say selective service, isn't that something to do with the military? Yes, the selective service system has existed now since uh, 1980. And basically, uh, if we have a national emergency, we have to have a draft of young men it is federal law right now for all males 1825 to register for the selective service system in case we have a draft lottery system. And also, uh, just because a young man, if we had the draft, uh, they wouldn't necessarily have to come in the military because they, they would still have to qualify medically, physically, academically. But also we have a conscientious objector program for alternative service. So uh, we have 11,000 board members throughout our country. So that's our second missionary mission is to make sure that we have that prepared that we have the 11,000 board members to determine if a young man would qualify for conscientious objector status. Okay. So basically you're here at this Native American venue because there are special concerns that maybe the importance of enrolling in the system has not gotten down to the grassroots in Indian country? Yes. uh, It's important that... uh, we, we get the message out that we still exist because we have not had the draft since the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. And it's important that people understand that these uh, this registration is tied to federal benefits that young men could lose, like Pell Grants, uh, getting federal jobs, getting federal job training. Because when a young man turns age 26, they could never register again. So we do have to get that message out to the Native American community so that young men don't get penalized by losing these benefits. Okay, so basically this is not just a formality. When we talk about many of the benefits that may be connected with someone's tribal enrollment or other things, some of those things indirectly are going to be linked to the fact that someone actually signs up or enrolls in the selective service system. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, but not only indirectly, but actually directly impacted because they cannot get a federal job, federal job training. Uh, so there are some benefits. Pell Grants, they're denied. So it's important that they register between 18 and 25 because once you turn 26, you can never register. But also, there's even some states that have state benefits. For example, in Alaska, for the permanent fund, uh, for the oil, ro- oil royalties, they have to register uh, to get these oil royalties. So basically, what we're talking about is something of uh, real significance, and you're here talking with representatives from a new you know variety of tribes what kind of responses are you getting are you getting tribal leaders that are surprised about what you're sharing yes we are getting surprises but they're very happy when they hear the message uh, i spoke to alaskan caucus today because they understand uh we want to 
establish a partnership with them at the National Congress of American Indians and all the Indian tribes to make sure that we get the message out. Uh, so that's why I'm very pleased uh, with uh, being in attendance today as a head of a federal agency. So how difficult is it for someone to enroll? It is very simple to register. It takes less than two minutes. Somebody can do it online on our website, sss.gov, or they can go to the post office and get one of our cards and register. Also, uh, if you go to get a Pell Grant at a junior college or a, a university, they can register instantaneously there. So it's just a simple process, name, address, date of birth, social security number, online, sss.gov. takes less than two minutes, and we'll mail you a registration card back to your address. Okay, so a lot of people may think, I just don't have time to do this, or I can't remember the website. I mean, I, and I'll be honest with you, Larry, I've got some people that come on the show, and they give me these websites, and I'm thinking, boy, we're giving this out on the radio waves. I mean, who's going to get this? But you got a very simple website. Yes. SSS.gov, that's it? That's it. And that's going to bring me to the selective service system. Yes, exactly. Someone right now is listening. Let's say they're 25. Their birthday's coming up in a couple months. Are you telling me that there's a window of opportunity if they don't sign up for the selective service system once they turn 26, some of these benefits will forever be out of their reach? Some will forever be out of their reach. Sometimes you get a waiver, but many will be out of their reach. That is correct. Uh, lifetime consequences. So it's essential that they do register. Also, uh, real briefly, I want to mention that uh, we are also here to uh, look for board members. We want to make sure uh, we have 11,000 board members throughout our state and territories. And we want to make sure that we uh, have Native Americans that are serving on our local boards, uh, uh, especially the remote areas where we have uh, Indian tribes. So that way, when a young man uh, that's a Native American uh, come meets the board, if we do have the draft, that they see uh, Native American community leaders on these boards so they can get a fair shake. Mm. I've noticed over the years, and this could be a misperception, but it seems like although there's been such an emphasis on tribal sovereignty, and rightly so, it seems that many Native Americans are among the most patriotic when it comes to the United States. Do you think that's a just a narrow perspective for my being an Indian country so much, or do you think that's a reality? It is a reality. Uh, statistically, uh, Native Americans have... Uh, proudly served, honorably served our military, and actually in a big disproportionately amount uh, based on other ethnic groups, uh, they they have served more than any other ethnic group. Okay, so I, thanks for bearing out my perceptions. And so it, it may seem to some people, well, why are we talking to Native Americans with this message? Because these people, uh, people groups, these nations, I mean, they're, they're definitely kind of in sync with uh, the United States government and the, the you know, military, but at the same time, a lot of people, they just don't realize, I'm not just speaking Native Americans, it just seems like there's a lot of young people in America today that simply don't realize there's a legal obligation for them to do this. Is, is that correct? Yes, that is exactly, it is federal law, and actually the people that don't uh, register, we actually turn their names in to the Department of Justice. Right now, uh, they reserve the right. Uh, they actually could be put in prison up to five years and fined $250,000. But since there's no war, well, there's no uh, big war, we don't have a draft going on, they don't do that. 
uh, we'd rather uh, register a young man. Right, right. Uh, so that way they don't get into any kind of difficulties. So someone who's at a stable address, I'm assuming that there is some kind of a mailing that goes out if you know there's uh, individuals in this uh, target uh, population. Do, don't they get a, some kind of mailing? What we have is, uh, for, in many states, uh, we have some agreements with the Department of Motor Vehicles. and some states, we actually have where we can automatically register them where there's a consent statement. But in some states, like unfortunately in California, we don't have that agreement. But we do have an agreement with the Department of Motor Vehicles in California where they send us a list uh, and we match it with the people that have registered. And the people that don't register, we actually uh, send them two reminder letters uh, a year. But unfortunately, these young men get uh, a lot of letters from mm-hmm. colleges, university, mm-hmm. and a lot of times they just ignore them and throw them in the waste can when they don't understand that it's an important uh, consequence. So uh, we try our best to get the word out as much as we can uh, by doing uh, these uh, media interviews, PSA announcements to every uh, radio station and TV station. Now, you've mentioned a number of times young men. Of course, there's more and more women serving in the military. Is selective service just for men at this point? The registration requirement is for men only, but that is a great question. Uh, right now, uh, Department of Defense is reviewing, and it looks like the Department of Defense is going to open all combat positions to women. Mm-hmm. Uh, this coming January, the Department of Defense is supposed to make a recommendation to the through the Secretary of Defense to Congress if they should consider registering women for selective service. It would take a requirement by Congress uh, to uh, to uh, modify the law if that would happen. Okay, Larry, you've mentioned a couple of times now about these boards. And this is the first time I'm hearing about this. So you actually are the director for the Selective Service System for the whole U.S. For the United States and our territories, yes. And you're here at NCAI, so, I mean, this this to me speaks a lot. Tell us, though, why you're so passionate about Native Americans being on these boards. It's very essential because one thing about the Native Americans, uh, they were the first peoples here, and they've always said that the federal government doesn't listen to us in some cases, but here we have the federal government listen to them because I want to make sure that the Native Americans understand that the Selective Service System does and wants to partner with them mm-hmm. and make sure they have a good voice in our agency. And this is a great way to be uh, to serve uh, as one of our board members, uh, volunteer board members in the Selective Service System to represent their community wherever they're at. So you have boards. How many boards do you have throughout the country? We have 11,000 board members. So if you divide that by five, so we basically have uh, over 2,000 boards in our other states and territories. Each board has five people. Okay. So we're here right now in San Diego. I'm assuming, is it safe to conclude there's a, a board or multiple boards in there's the San Diego There's multiple boards area? in San Diego County. I would say uh, off the top of my head, probably about eight to ten boards. So what is this board going to do? Are they getting the names from sure. all of all the local men? During, uh, during the peacetime, they get trained uh, on the different uh, scenarios if a young man uh, wants to claim conscientious objector status. So that way, if we did have the draft, they would meet this young man, at, uh, his pastor, his neighbors, and they would say, yes, uh, this young man has been a member of this peace church his whole life. Mm-hmm. So they would take a vote, uh, those five people, and that night they would say, yes, this young man, instead of coming to the military, we want to give them two years of public service, so it would be our responsibility, select a service, to give them a two-year public service job in his community. So that's a very important responsibility for uh, these uh, boards to do. 
the young man has three three chances at the local board. We have a district board and a national appeals board. We want to be fair and equitable to the young man to make sure that uh, they understand and our American society understand that we're going to be very fair uh, when we select this young man if they get drafted. Okay, so basically these boards, if I'm hearing it correctly, right now you're mainly just training them so that they're in place if there is a draft. Exactly. They're not really doing much right now other than just having the training. Just training, but it's essential that they're prepared because if we had a stream national emergency, we'd be very limited in time, so that's why we have to do this. And it's a very honor to be uh, uh, on these boards. Uh, They actually are appointed by the respective governor through the president. Oh, okay. And so you're reaching out here. You're saying you want Native, Can they? are they just men, women, any, any? Anybody can serve uh, over 18 years old. The only exception is if you cannot be a felon, you cannot be a law enforcement, law enforcement official, a judge, and also you cannot be, you receive a military retired pension. You can be a military veteran. You don't have to be a veteran, but we accept males or females. Okay. So this is a real opportunity. Are you getting much interest in those positions? We are getting here? a lot of interest. Uh, it's really essential, and the Native Americans understand that they want to uh, be representative on these uh, boards. So uh, we have an exhibit here, and uh, we're getting a tremendous response. Uh, I spoke the, at the Alaskan caucus, and we have a lot of vacancies in Alaska, and uh, they're very interested in filling these vacancies. That's great, Larry. So is SSS.gov the place where people would go for information about the boards as well? Yes, SSSGov would be the information about the boards, uh, the registration requirements also. So basically, you've been giving us some very clear messages in this first segment of our show. I appreciate it so much because you've told us first that every young man between the ages of 18 and 25, they've got to register with the Selective Service System. And then you've told us that, especially in Indian country, you're looking for people to be involved with these boards that... Uh, if there is a draft, these people are really needed, and you're going to be many times making decisions about some of your own tribal members, some of your own community members, right? Exactly. Larry, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time, first of all, to be here at NCAI and then sharing really uh, this very important information with my listenership. As we wind out this segment, any final uh, words of encouragement or summary of what we've talked about? I just appreciate uh, the uh, opportunity to uh, get the message out, and I'm really excited and looking forward to working with all the uh, Native American communities and the tribes on this important project. Thanks so much, Larry. We've got to step away, but we've got a lot more great material coming up on today's edition of American Indian Living. I want to tell you something right now. You do not want to miss the rest of today's program because a lot more great guests from this very venue, NCAI, in San Diego. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. My name is Florence A.Q. For lunch today, I had grilled chicken and squash. I am Zuni Indian, and I have the power to prevent diabetes. My name is D. Dakota Denesosi. I turned the TV off and took my nieces and nephews for a walk. We saw two jackrabbits, an eagle, and zero cartoons. I'm from the Dene Nation, and I have the power to prevent diabetes. 
Science has proven that if we lose as little as 10 pounds by walking briskly for 30 minutes, five days a week, and make healthier food choices, we can prevent diabetes. My name is Barbara Akisakpuk Curtis. I'm losing weight and being more active. I am Alaskan Inupak Eskimo, and I have the power to prevent diabetes. For more information on how to prevent diabetes, talk to your health care provider. For free materials, call the National Diabetes Education Program at 1-800-438-5383 and ask for the power to prevent diabetes. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. This is Meryl Streep. Over the years, I have played some characters you could call controlling, but the truth is there's so much in life we can't control. But here's something we can colorectal cancer. It affects men and women, and it's the second leading cancer killer in the U.S., which is astounding, considering it's almost entirely preventable. Here's how. Most colon cancers start as polyps, and screening helps find polyps so they can be removed before they even turn into cancer. Screening also finds this cancer early, when treatment works best. For me, screening was simple and quick. It was no big deal, except for the huge sense of relief you feel afterwards. There are several tests that you can choose from. If you're 50 or older, you should talk to your doctor. Decide which one's right for you. Take control. Do everything you can to prevent colon cancer. Screening saves lives. It could really save your life. For more information, call 1-800-CDC-INFO. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. We're here in San Diego. We're recording this show in October of 2015. The National Congress of American Indians is the venue Across from me now, someone who lives, eats, sleeps, diabetes, Chris Annunciato. Chris, tell us about your background. Thank you, Dr. DeRose, for having me on your show. Yes, I am a nurse practitioner. I have been involved with uh, diabetes for over 20 years and as a nurse practitioner for about 13 years. Wow, and you are here doing diabetes education, right? That is correct. We're checking blood sugars here today, and we are doing diabetes education. Well, I was just so excited to meet some of the members of the team because each year at NCAI, I know there's been a screening event that's been going on for many years. You folks are new to the team because you're actually local right here in San Diego, aren't you? That is correct. We are here from San Diego, and we're practicing right here in this town. So what do you do day in and day out, Chris? Pretty much what I do is I see patients, and I focus on the patients that's uh, closer to the south of the border. Okay. So I have a lot of uh, Mexican patients that, that also suffer from diabetes, and I help treat and manage their diabetes with medications, lifestyle change, and insulin. So are you working in an outpatient clinic, in a hospital? What setting are you working in? Um, I was working in a hospital setting. And we take care of patients that come in for other problems, but they do have diabetes that need to be controlled. Okay. So basically when I introduced you as someone who, you know, lives and breathes, eats and sleeps diabetes, that was not an exaggeration. It was not an exaggeration. We are on call 
because we work <laughs> seven days a week and we are on call in the middle of the night to help manage diabetes. Really? So we do eat, breathe, and sleep diabetes. So there's a danger while we're doing the show that your beeper is going to go off? And you're gonna, <laughs> is it, are you on call right now? No, I am not. Oh, I'm, okay, off. I'm good. completely I'm, off today. Okay, I'm breathing yeah. a little bit easier. So let's yeah. talk about diabetes. It's a huge problem, of course, not just in Indian country, but every population group is yes. seeing, you know, over the last few decades, growing numbers of people with diabetes. I know some of the data suggests that maybe that rapid rise is leveling off, but it's still a huge problem. What kind of messages do you give? Let's talk first, Chris. Mm-hmm. Person listening today, just diagnosed with diabetes. What do you tell them? Well, with diabetes, I... I you know, first of all, I don't think it's leveling off. I mean, okay. we have seen a tremendous rise. When I came into diabetes as a nurse practitioner, um, there were 13 million Americans with diabetes. And that was 13 years ago. And now we're closing to like 29 million. Mm. It's, it's a very high number. So I don't see it leveling off just right now. But for my newly diagnosed patients, when I see them, I talk to them about their current lifestyle, what what they do currently and we work from there we work from where they're coming from what they're willing to do for themselves and we incorporate certain aspects of lifestyle change Mm -hmm. as well as medication if they need it um, to help manage their disease okay well let's say someone is listening and maybe they grew up in more of a traditional native uh, home maybe they're on a reservation they've moved to an urban area and now they get the diagnosis of diabetes. They go into work one day. They're not working in a tribal-owned establishment. They're dealing with people from all different cultural backgrounds. And they tell someone, I just got this terrible news. I have diabetes. And someone says, I know exactly what you need. You need this uh, Atkins diet. And if you just start eating bacon and meat and eggs, your blood sugar will be great. So the person tries it, they're checking their blood sugars, and lo and behold, their blood sugars start looking better. Is that the ideal diet? Is that what you'd be recommending? That would not be the diet that I would be recommending. What, why is that? Well, the Atkins diet primarily is high protein, high fat, which lacks other essential nutrients because mm. our body still needs carbohydrates along with protein and fats. So we need a balanced diet, irregardless of whether you have diabetes or don't have diabetes. And we cannot be prescribing diets that's just good for diabetes or that's just good for heart disease or that's just good for cancer. The diets that we should be having, every single one of us, regardless of what we have, whether we have diabetes or not, should be a healthy diet that helps prevent diabetes, heart disease, as well as cancer. Okay. Well, I mean, that sounds like a great response. We're on the same page because I, I know that if someone's not eating any carbohydrates, and you've seen this too, yeah, their blood sugar may look better, but that doesn't mean it's actually helping their blood vessels, right? It is not helping their blood vessels. A lot of things happen in the blood vessels that we don't feel. And we could be walking, talking. Patients tell me all the time, I feel good. Why should I manage my diabetes? Mm. And they're walking around with blood sugars of 300s that's already starting to destroy blood vessels. But they feel fine. And that's why some of these diseases, including diabetes, could be a silent killer. Let's talk a little bit about the complications of diabetes. So you're making a plea, what I hear you saying, Chris, is if you've got diabetes, you've got to be serious about those blood sugar numbers. What do those high blood sugar numbers increase your risk of? 
Many things. Diabetes is one of these diseases that is actually systemic. And when we say systemic, it affects every single part of our body. So with high blood sugar, we know that it affects the brain because we have small blood vessels in the brain. The higher our blood sugar, the slower our, the slower our circulation would be. And so the slower the circulation that goes into the brain. We also have very small blood vessels in the eyes, and they destroy those small blood vessels that are in our eyes. So that's the reason why diabetes is one of the leading causes of blindness. And when we think about circulation, the biggest contributor to circulation is the heart. It leads all of that. And when we have high blood sugars in the blood and it goes through the vessels in the heart, it leads to the hardening of the blood vessels in the heart. And that's why it puts us at risk for heart disease and, um, and heart attacks. And the other thing that we have to worry about is circulation down the legs. It's farther away from the heart. They have smaller blood vessels. They affect those vessels as well. And, of course, the kidneys. Right. Uh, the kidneys is a major thing. Diabetes is the leading cause of kidney failure in this country. Wow. So we've got blindness, kidney failure, heart attacks. If I'm not mistaken, data that I've seen suggests that heart attack is the leading cause of death in people with diabetes. That is correct. And the leading cause of death overall in this nation. Okay. So basically, we've got all these problems. And what the research suggests... If I got it right, Chris, if we control those blood sugars, we're going to decrease our risk of all those problems? That is correct. A few years ago, um, there was a magazine that uh, actually celebrated 70 years of insulin. Now, insulin was discovered in 1921. Okay. They interviewed four people that have had diabetes for almost 70 years. Wow. And they're living, breathing examples of patients who've had diabetes for that long and still living active, healthy lives. Excellent. So it's not the diabetes that is the killer. It's actually high blood sugars. Hmm. So we, we can have diabetes, but we can live healthy, long lives if we control our blood sugars. Now, one thing I appreciate, greatly appreciate about what you're doing, and we, we've just met, but I already know based on our preliminary conversations and your interview here, Chris, is that you're not just content with giving people more medicine or more insulin to control their blood sugars because so many of us as professionals have seen what happens. You take a person with uncontrolled blood sugars, you put them on insulin, and they start gaining weight, and their diabetes gets worse, and they gain more weight, and it's like a vicious cycle. You're really trying to help people change their lifestyle. Why is that so important to you? It goes hand in hand, in my opinion. Um, I, I've heard some people that say, oh, I can eat that steak tonight. I'll just double up on my cholesterol medication. Mm. But that's not the whole idea. Because mm -hmm. every medication that we take also has side effects. Good point. And the most important thing in all of the research studies that have been done over decades um, show that, yes, medications can help control disease. It has not been shown to cure disease. Mm. Um, but then every single research still shows that Lifestyle change is still the most important and the most effective ahead of any type of medication that we can give our patients. So what kind of lifestyle changes are you working with patients to implement? What I'm working on, I, I, you know, when, when I started with this diabetes um, you know, program, I used to tell patients, oh, you've got to eat a certain percentage of protein, a certain percentage of carbohydrates, mm. a certain percentage of fat in your diet. And it becomes a very complex um, 
you know, dietary program for the patient because they don't understand that in terms of their plate. Mm-hmm. So what I'm starting to do recently is to simplify things. Okay. And I think some people have already heard of myplate.gov. Right, right. I like the whole idea of that, but I'm taking it a little bit step further in terms of what you actually put on your plate. Yes, uh-huh. I do advocate eating whole plant-based foods okay. as our primary source of nutrition. And with whole plant-based foods, you can get protein and fats there as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Limiting red meat is something that I actually advocate for because we see a lot of cancers Mm. um, in in the general population and even in our diabetes population. Mm -hmm. So I tell them if you need protein, you get your protein source from nuts, from beans. And some vegetables have some traces of protein in them as well. And in terms of carbohydrates, I really advocate for eating regular carbohydrates that fuel our bodies, fuel our brains, so it functions right. Mm -hmm. But they have to be carbohydrates that are complex carbohydrates from plant-based. So not what, from what does that mean, complex carbohydrates? The complex carbohydrates, if you if you ever to look at a label, means that it, it has more protein, uh, it has more uh, fiber in it. Okay. And it, we need that fiber for cardiac health as well as for regulating our blood sugar. Okay, Chris, I know you're on a tight schedule. Is there any way I can entice you to stay for our next segment? Because I know you've got a lot more you could share. Are you sure. good? Okay, we've got to step away just for a couple of minutes. I'm Dr. David DeRose. You're listening to Chris Annunziato, Dr. Chris Annunziato. She's talking about diabetes, things that can make a difference for you, for your family, your tribe. Don't go away. We will be back with more. Stay tuned. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's prerecorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-HOPE. 4673. I'm Karen, and two very important people in my life, my husband and my father, have been diagnosed with atrial fibrillation. Atrial fibrillation, or AFib, is a type of irregular heartbeat. People with AFib are five times more likely to have a stroke than people without AFib. Talk with a healthcare professional today about your risk and learn how to manage AFib to prevent a stroke. Visit stroke.org slash AFib to learn more. My name is Mira Batra. I have been in this country 32 years, and this is how I live united. America has always been the land of promise, and in my community, many families have come for a better life. Coming from another culture myself, I know the desire to become part of a community, to feel at home, and to gain the tools for our children and families to succeed. So I advocate for these families with United Way. United Way empowers them to look beyond their histories and to see what opportunities are available. We help them get involved with their kids' schools, network within the community, and when we do, we unite them. We make the community stronger. What I do is something I wish someone had done for me, and I am so grateful I am able to. My name is Meera Batra. I help families see opportunities and succeed. I don't just wear the shirt. I live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Did you know that 63% of homes contain allergens from cockroaches? And that mice spread potent asthma triggers found in 82% of homes? It's true. Common household pests are major offenders on the list of indoor allergens. Learn what you can do to help your family breathe easier. Visit PestWorld.org. 
A public service message from the National Pest Management Association and the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back with Dr. David DeRose. Across from me, Dr. Chrisimar Anunciado. She has her Ph.D. degree. She's a doctorate of nursing, correct? That is correct. And you're working actively in the field of diabetes. I've been enjoying your insights, Chris, but I also need to remind our listeners, I'll tell you, it's a little bit distracting here. It's a great environment here at NCAI. But here in this particular convention venue, they've got a lot of uh, music that's coming through the loudspeakers as well as the, the noise of the convention. So it is interesting. So if you're contending with that as you're listening to the show, try to focus on the good information that, uh, that Chris is giving us. Chris, we were speaking about the power of lifestyle. And during the break, you and I were speaking just a little bit. You have actually looked at a lot of the breaking news, if you will, when it comes to new diabetes drugs. And there's all kinds of medications out there that are showing they can improve diabetic control. But one of the big questions we often have is it's one thing to lower the blood sugar, but are we actually affecting the endpoints? Are we lowering the risk of kidney disease, the risk of heart attack, death? How does it look from your vantage point? Well, uh, when we were talking just a bit ago, um, I have been attending diabetes conferences for about a good 14 years now. Mm -hmm. And I always attend those major breaking, you know, um, studies that they have, randomized controlled trials that's done in multi-centers all Mm -hmm. over the world. Mm -hmm. And every single time they report their findings, it does seem to help with the numbers, like blood sugars are getting under control. Um, But the endpoints of uh, death or mortality, the endpoints of are we controlling cardiovascular disease, um, they don't seem to change. They don't seem to affect that very much. And um, it brought me to, you know, to thinking that when we looked at the studies on lifestyle change versus diabetes medication Mm -hmm. many years ago, that lifestyle change actually made the best outcomes for these diabetes patients. Mm -hmm. It's not a medication. It's not a pill that you can take. It doesn't cost you much, except that you have to change the way you live your life. And it's actually the one that's been proven to either reverse diabetes, control diabetes, and lengthen life, decrease mortality, decrease, you know, complications from diabetes. And I think our focus should be a little bit more on the lifestyle change. Okay. I'm not saying that people have to disregard their medications because medications do play a part. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I think that if we change our lifestyle, that we can probably minimize the amount of medication that we're going to take or even get rid of it altogether, depending on the discussion you're going to have with your doctor. This is an excellent point. And uh, what's exciting to me, Chris, about what you're telling us is really there are some simple things we can do that can not only improve our blood sugar, but can really increase our longevity, our likelihood of living a long time, right? That is correct. So let me see if I've got this. You've been telling us, first of all, about diet. And the message I heard, cut back on those uh, red meats, 
uh, eat more vegetable products. Am I hearing that right? That is correct. If we do need carbohydrates, but we want to choose these fiber-rich foods, these plant foods, what would be some examples of these complex carbohydrates? What foods do you find them in? I would have to say that eating our carrots... Okay, okay. <laughs> would be good for us. It is a, a little bit carby of a vegetable, but uh-huh. it's good for our eyes and it is okay, fibrous. Okay. Um, the other thing that I like are sweet potatoes and yams. Wow, okay. We can boil that. I've seen some studies on nutritiondata.org that the boiling is probably the best way to keep the integrity of the nutrients of sweet potatoes. Oh, interesting. Um, Regular potatoes are good for us. They're not really that bad for us, but we've been eating as, as French fries. Mm. That what makes it bad because of the high fat content that uh, that we turn them into. Um, so those are very good foods. Uh, grains that are like quinoa, for example, mm-hmm. or brown rice in moderation. Um, they do fuel our body, so we have energy. And uh, carbohydrates are about the best food because they turn into um, sugar that fuels our brain. Okay. Um, proteins don't really uh, power our brain. It's usually carbohydrates uh-huh. that, that do that. So we need that for overall health. But we have to look at our portion control. And um, we have to get a lot of these carbohydrates from plant-based. I remember seeing some interesting data some years ago where they actually looked at people who were on these low-carb diets. You know, we talked about the Atkins diet earlier, these high-fat, high-protein diets. And what was interesting is they actually showed evidence that these individuals were really suffering on a brain level. They couldn't make the serotonin and other healthy brain chemicals that they needed. Is that something that you've seen practically in your experience? I have actually, um, and, and it's amazing that you mentioned that. I went to this uh, health food store, quote unquote, health food store, and uh, this uh, the guy that was selling me products was actually pretty much, he said, I'm almost on a nose, you know, a, a zero carbohydrate diet. Oh, my. Um, but you, you look at the his kind of like interaction with you mm-hmm. and, and, and the way, you know, his brain, it, it's kind of like slowed down. You really need mm-hmm. carbohydrates for mm-hmm. your brain. Um, so I, I'm not saying like, and, and now there's a healthier version, I guess, if you have to say, of an Atkins diet. And we're looking at paleo diet or caveman diet. Um, we've evolved now. We're not doing the high fat, but we're doing the high quality proteins as well as uh, whole foods. It might be a little bit of a step up from Atkins diet that mm-hmm. we used to hear about way back when. However, there's been some smaller studies. Um, there's one uh, slightly larger in the last couple of years that showed that people who do CrossFit and they've randomized them into a paleo diet versus not a paleo diet, that whatever cardiovascular benefits that you get from exercise like CrossFit basically is washed out by a paleo diet. It's taken away. You mean you can't improve your fitness as well if you're not getting enough carbs? Well, apparently on a a paleo diet, you don't get the cardiovascular benefits of exercise. And it's because of the high protein, they think? It probably is. They haven't broken it down by nutrients, but... They did put a whole bunch of really, like, you know, professional CrossFitters. Mm -hmm. And I forgot what the sample size was. But looking at that study and the paleo diet, and we're supposed to see cardiovascular effects, like positive ones, because they're, they're working out. Mm-hmm. Uh, vigorously, mm-hmm. and they're on a paleo diet, which is deemed to be healthier. Um, but the paleo diet basically took away all the cardiovascular benefits of exercise. Wow. So what I hear you making a plea for, Chris, is you're saying 
eat lots of plant products. Uh, you know, don't shy away from the root vegetables and things, even though they've gotten a bad rap sometimes, even with diabetes, right? That is true. Okay, what else is on this uh, lifestyle program? It's got to be more than diet, right? <laughs> yes, it's more than diet, but we start there because that's that's where my heart is. Okay. Um, however, when you think about lifestyle, you think about your overall lifestyle. Uh-huh. It's pretty much um, how you feel about yourself, um, your relationships with other people, okay. um, interactions with other people, the amount of stress that you probably carry on a daily basis, the... Um, Gratitude, I think, is very important about being thankful every day and carrying a lighter heart. You mean you're Um, actually saying there's evidence that this helps blood sugar control? (laughs) There's evidence that it actually helps overall health. Okay. So gratitude, controlling stress. Well, I mean, the the stress is pretty obvious, right? Because those stress hormones raise our blood sugar, don't they? That is true. That is true. And oftentimes my patients tell me that I've been going through a lot in my life. I'm very stressed out. That's why my sugars are higher, despite the fact that my diet's the same. Okay. So that is true. And so do you actually, as... Someone who's working in the clinical diabetes arena, do you work with people on managing stress? Um, I personally don't have the expertise in managing stress, but Mm -hmm. I do refer them to social workers and psychologists that can help them um, work through their stress and managing their stress. Okay. So we've got stress management. We've got diet. Exercise is somewhere in that equation, Exercise is very important. Um, If I have to pit exercise and nutrition against each other, I'd probably say that probably nutrition has a little bit of an edge Mm -hmm. um, because it does change chemical composition in our body. But exercise is what keeps it all together. Um, When we get older, we're going to need all of our limbs, you know, moving the right way. And um, exercise... You know, pumps up the heart. It keeps the muscles going. And the heart is a muscle as well Mm -hmm. as all the other muscles in our body. So we need those things functioning very well. And the only way to keep it strong is to work it out. Osteoporosis is a problem in our diabetic population. But it's also a problem in the general population. And how to prevent fractures from breaking bones is to exercise. So we can pound the calcium back into our bones and make our bones strong. Boy, I haven't heard that analogy, pounding the calcium back into, into our bones. bones. I'll have to think about that one. I say that a lot <laughs> because I tell my patients it has to be a weight-bearing exercise. No, no, I, get, I get your point. I just, <laughs> I just haven't he- had anyone uh, try to break it down that way. Okay, let's, let's come back to the whole dialogue then. We're, we've got people who are tuning in, some of them newly diagnosed with diabetes. We've talked to them. But what about those who've gotten some bad news? Maybe their eye doctor has said they have retinopathy, they need laser treatments, or someone who's seen their doctor, they say, you've got kidney problems, you need to see the nephrologist, the kidney doctor. Once you get bad news, once you start having neuropathy or nerve problems from the diabetes, kidney problems, eye problems, is that pretty much the end? Um, Do you just give up, or are those things reversible? Any thoughts? Um, we've had some uh, smaller studies looking at retinopathy as well as nephropathy or the kidney disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been some positive uh, outcomes on there. They're not large major studies. But we've seen that changing lifestyle, especially diet, have somehow either stabilized the disease 
or reversed it a little bit. Okay, okay. Now, we've heard of uh, the forks over knives, the study that, the China study that Dr. Campbell did and Dr. Esselstyn. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dr. Esselstyn pretty much took a, a group of patients that basically were told, hey, you can't have open heart surgery anymore because um, we, we can't do anything for you. You're too high mm-hmm. risk. And he put them on a plant-based diet. And in a lot of those cases, these patients got healthier. And in some cases, when they did a cardiac catheterization to look into the vessels again, that some of the, the buildup of, of plaque or the hardening of the vessels have improved. Okay, so we can reverse blockages in arteries. There's evidence for that with lifestyle. And you're suggesting that there's at least some early evidence that we may be able to reverse some of these diabetic complications, at least if they, I mean, if you're not on dialysis, you may be able to either slow or stabilize the, the kidney function loss, right? That's what I'm thinking. Now, it's not a major study, but Mm -hmm. it couldn't hurt anybody to give it a try. Okay, so get on a healthier lifestyle. That is correct. Chris, I understand that you are not just teaching people in a clinical setting about diabetes. You actually have some internet-based resources. Tell us about that. Yes, um, I, I, uh, <laughs> I like social media. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I interact with my friends on social media. And a lot of my friends and people I meet along the way in trains and airplanes always ask me about, um, you know, what do you think about this? Or um, do you have a recipe for this? Mm-hmm. So I created this Facebook page called Chris Amar's Blog. Okay. And it's C-R-I-S-A-M-A-R, Chris Amar's Blog. Uh-huh. Um, on Facebook uh, to post some studies on uh, on health and to also post some recipes, healthier recipes. Wonderful. Chrisamar, C-R-I-S-A-M-A-R, Chrisamar's blog. Listen, I'm glad we don't have to say goodbye forever because we've got that blog address now. You folks can uh, keep in touch with uh, Chris. She's got to run, but we've got one final segment in today's show. Don't go away. We've got another great guest coming up. We'll wind things up. We'll be right back. I'm Dr. DeRose. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. What I say, you already know, but you don't believe. You won't accept. You don't conceive. When you're inside your car, you feel safest of all. Are you safe? Are you? Two tons of sheet metal in your hands. Two tons don't run on autopilot. You have a mission. It's no collision. Hold the phone. Don't text. You're angling to be next. Oh, you've done it before. What's the harm? Just this once, there's no alarm. Got your hands on the wheel? No big deal. Brothers and sisters, you won't see it coming. You're off the road. Your life explodes. It's not worth it. Don't do it. You only think there's nothing to it. Put it down. Hang up. Pay attention to highway action. Behind the wheel, there is no such thing as a small distraction. Join the conversation at DecideToDrive.org. A public service message from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons who would rather help keep your bones strong than put them back together. We are here to say a word about cancer. When you talk to someone who has been diagnosed with cancer, be positive. Be supportive. That's it. 
Stop right there. Don't start telling them about your Uncle Vern. Or the next door neighbor. Don't be grim. Try not to disappear either. Don't cross to the other side of the street. Don't stop calling. Don't cry. Don't ever say you're living my worst nightmare. You know who you are. Here's the important part. Be positive. Be positive. Se positivo. Say these words. You will do great. Keep calling. Check in. Be a friend. Or be a new friend. Be a supportive. Positive friend. Smile. Try not to be afraid. Or act afraid. Fear is not useful. Be a funny, hopeful human being. If you come across cancer, let it transform you into your most positive self. And inspire. Urge. Fortify. Rally. Encourage someone to do great. This message brought to you by Cancer Survivors. For more information, to hear stories or share your own, visit DoGreatCampaign.com. Do great. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose here now in the convention venue with another very special guest, perhaps even more special to me because Earl Capule across from me is a lifestyle coach, also a former student of mine. It was great to see you here, Earl, when I got to NCAI. It's good to see you, Doctor. It was, it was a surprise to me that you were here. Uh, someone told me you were here, and then I was excited. Yeah, I, I was surprised because normally there's a team that does screening. They often have the same folks. I've been to a number of NCAI conventions. It's a, a group that was based in Oklahoma. But this year I was talking with one of the organizers. Uh, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, many of our listeners may realize, coordinates this health screening uh, complex, if you will, series of booths at NCAI every year. And I was talking with one of the coordinators, and he said, well, he'd met your team doing some screenings in, in Texas. So you guys are based right here, aren't you, in San Diego? Yes, we're here in San Diego in Chula Vista. But you do all kinds of health screenings. Is it fair to say all over the country or all over the world? Is that true? Uh, we're trying to get it worldwide. We, we do big events like uh, the Del Mar Fair. Every year there's a big county fair where people come from all over the states for that fair. Uh-huh. And so we start there. Any other events that are available, our services are ready to go. Wow. So, yeah. Well, that's tremendous. And I, I was talking with, uh, actually, Jim is the guy who I, I know had been working with you and got you uh, all involved here. I said, uh, boy, that was great, Jim. You didn't have to fly people in. You've got a team right here. And it looks like the screening's going really well. Tell us what you're offering here at NCAI. Uh, yeah, so it's a free health screening. People come in, get their blood pressure checked, their blood glucose level checked, and then we have a special machine that shows your body weight, body mass index, body fat percentage, your visceral fat, oh wow, uh, resting metabolism, and also it gives you a number for body age, which is based on circulation. So this sounds kind of scary. Are a lot of people afraid to get that body <laughs> fat percentage measured? Uh, yeah, often we get people that say, oh, I just ate, or I know my numbers. I'm going to uh-huh. keep on walking. Okay. But, um, okay, but you got a number taking advantage of it. Yeah. So blood sugar screening, blood pressure, the all the different uh, body mass index and weight measurements. And then you're actually working in a booth over there where you do some counseling, some lifestyle coaching. Is that what you're doing? Yes. So after they get all their numbers on a piece of paper, they come to me and I 
tell them what the numbers mean, where they're at, and I also give them some information as far as what they can do to improve these numbers and uh, have optimal health. Well, that's great. Now, you folks, as you're in this venue, you've been, like we mentioned already, in a number of settings. Are you noticing any difference, the attitude of the people, the kind of numbers you're seeing, any, any generalizations about the group here at National Congress as opposed to any other group that you would be screening? Well, everywhere we go, it's different. As far as this group, uh, things we notice quite a bit is blood pressure. Higher blood pressure? Higher blood pressure. Uh, okay. More often than others. Um, sh- blood sugar, not as much, but I do see it. We've been seeing it as well. And um, But the people, they're friendly. Mm-hmm. You know, they're really interested and they want to be more healthy and they're into more natural things. And so they're very open to it. Well, you know, the, the higher I was just speaking with one of the tribal leaders who was over at the booth there. Someone had called me over because he had a pretty high blood pressure reading. And we were talking some, and I mean, here the setting's probably different than a lot of the screenings because there are a lot of, you know, major issues that are being discussed. And we were mentioning how stress can raise blood pressure. So even when you're doing something good or good for your people, uh, even if things are going well, a lot of times there's a lot of energy involved in that and a lot of stress. Yeah, definitely. People have been telling me it's been really busy, and so that could be part of it being stressed. Yeah, no question. And, and like you said... Just being busy, not having time to get as much sleep as you need, rushing around, not getting exercise, not eating as well as you normally do maybe at home, all of those things can bump those numbers up, can't they? Yes. So, Earl, tell us a little bit about why you got into lifestyle coaching and why you still continue to do that. I mean, we met because you went through a program that I was uh, teaching at a while back. Uh, I don't uh, any longer teach with that particular college, but... You were getting training as a lifestyle coach, right? Mm-hmm. That's what was correct. it that prompted you to do that? Well, when I first moved to San Diego from Hawaii, um, in Hawaii we also have a lot of diabetes and high blood pressure, heart disease. Uh, here in San Diego, I wanted to be a firefighter, so I took a course to become an EMT mm-hmm. in order to become a firefighter. And in the EMT course, I read a statement in the, in the textbook that said, rarely does anybody today die of a natural death. Mm. And so that struck me to think that hardly anybody dies just because they're old wow and so that really hit me you know so it's diseases accidents drugs murders whatever it is there's Uh so many other things killing people and so at the the end of the day i figured if i'm going to be a firefighter i'm i'm on the wrong end of fire hose and people are already almost dead and so i want to find out if is there something else i can do to prevent people from calling that number and Boy, so. great, great vision. And now you have Native Hawaiian roots. Yes. And do, did you grow up in a home where a lot of those uh, traditional Hawaiian values were part of your upbringing, or was that kind of in the background somewhere? Uh, no, yeah, definitely. Uh, the lifestyle, the foods we ate, it was high protein, high animal products, um, you know, barbecuing all the time, always having meats and baby parties, and food was incorporated it with everything we did and so we ate a lot of not so healthy food okay so what have you learned and what have you been teaching people that's either made a difference for you personally or for the people you've been coaching um yeah what i've noticed in my life i mean i wanted to before i could teach it i need to do it myself and so i've noticed in my life by 
going more plant-based as far as nutrition and being more active, those type of things have really improved my health. Mm-hmm. And um, then I shared it with other people and they noticed the differences and basically trying to shift people from man-made things to what I believe is God-made things. And so mm. more natural things and um, the body's more able to use it and process it a lot quicker than these things that we've created. Now here in this setting, as in your other screening settings, you just see people often for a single visit, right? Yes. But you also do some lifestyle coaching here with people who live in this area. Am I understanding that right? Yes. I I do do lifestyle coaching here in San Diego on a one-on-one basis. We also do group sessions sometimes. I sometimes give lectures or cooking classes uh, with the group that I'm working here in Chula Vista. And so I do work with the people here locally. So what kind of stories do you have? Have you seen people who've come to you for lifestyle coaching where you've seen dramatic changes in their in their life take place right before their eye, your eyes and their eyes? Oh, yeah, definitely. I had a friend a couple years back come live with me in San Diego. Okay. Uh, he was a Samoan, uh, maybe 235 pounds, about 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, uh-huh. And um, for one month, he went vegan with me. He said, I'm going to eat whatever you cook. And uh, we're going to work out together. And, you know, I want to live a lifestyle like you. Uh-huh. So I said, okay, as long as you wash the dishes. Okay. <laughs> um, after a, one month, he had lost 15 pounds or maybe really? a little more. Okay. And uh, he ended up going back to Hawaii but continued it for another 68 months and lost another 30 pounds. Wow. And so now he's he's looking great. He's feeling good. And uh-huh. he's, he's uh, been applying those things in his life. Wonderful. Yeah. So not only did he change what he was eating, he had to really push himself away from the table, or could he eat all he wanted? He was eating quite a bit, and he was surprised that he could eat that much and still be losing weight. And so I've heard from one doctor, he said, you can eat more and weigh less. Uh Uh-huh. It's because Um, you're getting a lot less calories when you're eating those fruits and vegetables and things instead of all the meat and cheese and eggs, right? Yes. High nutrition, low calories. Very Good. Good. (laughs) Well, I mean, you're doing some exciting work. Now, I know there's many people that tune into the show. Some of them are here in the state of California or neighboring states. Your team travels. Yes. If someone wants to do an event or it's a powwow and they say, we'd love to offer health screening. I mean, does your team travel to things like that if you got a call? Sure. With with, uh, planning ahead of time and giving us some notice and... uh, if we may need some help or not, we're definitely able to travel. How does someone get a hold of your group? Uh, well, they could contact me directly through email. Okay. Uh, my email address is kapule.net at gmail.com. So it's K-A-P-U-L-E dot net at gmail.com. Okay, let me make sure I got this right. Kapule, just like Earl Kapule, Correct. your last name, K-A-P-U-L-E dot net. Yes, at gmail.com. Correct. Earl, thanks for closing out our program. It was on a great note. We've been talking about lifestyle change, its power. You guys are making a difference here, encouraging people to live those healthy traditional practices, whether they're Native Hawaiian, Native American, Native Canadian, whatever it is. (laughs) Thanks so much. Before we run, I want to just encourage you. You've heard a lot of things on today's show. Hopefully, you can take them and make them work in your own life. And if your tribe is holding an event, don't forget, kapule.net at gmail.com. Think of Earl and his team. There is help out there to help you and the ones you love. For all of us at American Indian Living, 
I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Service.